Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Today's Encore presentation deals with a topic that so many people ask me about when they find out they're pregnant with a child with a congenital heart defect, sports. When my son was young, I wondered how he would tolerate physical exercise. Since I already had one son who was heart healthy, I wondered how he and his brother would play together. Today's episode features three congenital heart defect survivors and their stories about participating in sports and extracurricular activities. I hope listening to these three adults will give you some answers to the questions you may have. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is a program designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. Welcome to the 10th episode of Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Our purpose is to empower members of our community with resources, support, and advocacy information. Today's episode is called Sports and Extracurricular Activities for Congenital Heart Defect Survivors. Thanks to advances in medical science, 90% of the babies born today with a congenital heart defect, or CHD, will live to adulthood. What does that mean regarding sports and extracurricular activities for the CHD survivor? What kind of quality of life can they have regarding sports and hobbies? Quality of life seems to be an issue that is discussed a great deal when it comes to children with critical congenital heart defects, or CCHDs. Each of our guests today was born with a CCHD. About 25% of CHDs are considered CCHDs. Children with CCHDs need surgery or other procedures within the first year of life. They are at risk for death or disability if their heart defect is not detected soon after birth. The heart defects classified as CCHDs include one or more of the following. Coarctation of the aorta, double outlet right ventricle, detransposition of the great arteries, Epstein's anomaly, hypoplastic left heart syndrome, interrupted aortic arch, pulmonary atresia with intact septum, single ventricle, total anomalous pulmonary venous connection, tetralogy of Fallot, tricuspid atresia, and truncus arteriosus. Some people with treated CCHDs have few related health problems later in life. However, long-term effects of CCHD can include delayed development and reduced stamina during exercise, or so the literature states. Could it be that some people with CCHDs can defy the literature? Today we'll meet three adults with CCHDs who have thrived despite being born at a time in history when the surgeries needed to save their lives were still considered experimental. Our guests today are Mike Cummings, Victoria Scoggins, and Alexander Jaworski. They will tell us about what kind of sports and extracurricular activities they have enjoyed while growing up. 
Mike Cummings wrote, at only two months of age, it was discovered that I had been born with dextrocardiositis inversus with a single ventricular bilateral cavus L-loop malposition of the great arteries and an atrioventricular septal defect. To put it simply, my heart only has two chambers, and it's on the opposite side of my body facing my shoulder blade. When I was 15, I was diagnosed with kyphosis, a severe curvature of the spine that causes one to have a humpback. The condition threatened to crush my internal organs. I had two 18-inch steel rods bolted to my spine to correct the problem. As a young child, I was also diagnosed with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. I was prone to lashing out, never knowing where to put my energy. It was easy to have thoughts of loathing and self-doubt. I didn't fit in anywhere or have a group of true friends. But instead of having a negative attitude, I walked into a small karate school in central New York called Brooks Karate. That was the best decision I ever made. We'll meet Victoria Scoggins and Alexander Jaworski later in our show. Thank you, Mark, for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I was so interested to read what you wrote when you said walking into Brooks Karate was the best decision I ever made. Can you tell me what made you walk in there in the first place and exactly how karate training has helped you to define your life? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, well, I always kind of was like, uh, I guess, a karate wannabe growing up. I would uh, watch the movies and uh, try to emulate the, a lot of the actors and I'm um, always dreaming of being the hero, and I always saw that martial arts was uh, where the little guy could uh, overcome the big guy, the strong guy. So even though I was a fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger, I was more of a fan of uh, martial arts. And one day I challenged my friend, who actually was in martial arts, to a uh, flexibility contest. Needless to say, he won, and he looks at me and he goes, but you're already pretty good. You should join. So I went home and said, Mom, Dad, I want to join. Uh, keep in mind that... For, for the longest time, uh, we threw it around, but this time I was determined to join. So so that's awesome. So really, it was not you just happening to walk into the school, but you actually knew somebody else who was a student there. Actually, no, he went to a different karate school. What? He went to yep. a different karate school. So why didn't you join the school that he belonged to? Uh, actually, he didn't go at the time. And uh, the the school he went to was when uh, he actually lived in the area where it was same distance between the two schools. For me, it would have been a long drive to go there. Oh, okay. So how has that helped you to define your life, Mark? Well, I I found my new new passion. Uh, Before, I had, like, a lot of hobbies and interests and stuff, but uh, uh, I was actually pretty good at martial arts. Um, so I knew if I worked hard at it, I could become really good at it. And uh, the harder I worked, the better I became. And I could see my progress. I guess seeing my progress really fed into it. So I kept going. So, Mark, I'm amazed that you're able to do those karate moves, considering you have those two 18-inch rods connected to your spine. Do the rods inhibit your flexibility at all? Uh, not really in my legs or lower back. They're in the upper back, thank God. Um, I can't uh, curve my back at all. But in some ways, it actually helped out because uh, a lot of times when you're stretching, you want to keep the back straight. And you always want to have good posture when you're doing some of the stances and stuff. So uh, it's kind of like 
give or take. I guess it's a blessing and a curse, <laughs> all one. Yeah, well, you definitely have good posture, right? <laughs> yeah, yes, ma'am. So you mentioned that you have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. How did having ADHD while you were growing up affect you? Uh, you know, I just, I still have it, you know. Uh, I just learned to deal with it better. You know, hard time, just the, the usual hard time to focus. Um, unless it's something really that interests me. Uh, didn't do too good in school um, a lot of times. Uh, but to be honest, um, it, uh, the more of the martial arts I did, the more focused I became and the easier I was able to kind of, um, try to overcome it, I guess, or to control it. It still pops its reary head or its ugly head up every now and then. Um, but for the most part, uh, I'm not nearly as, as, uh, as bad. I mean, you ask a lot of my friends, they still fidget, but. When my son was in karate, one of the things that his instructor taught to them about was becoming centered. And it seems to me that with your enhancement of your skills in karate, that learning how to be centered and to be only in that moment would help you to overcome mm -hmm. some of the problems with the ADHD. Is that true? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, the best thing you can do is, I, I guess you can, um, <laughs> it helps you focus, uh, it helps you uh, determine, to me, when you say centered, uh, it's to know oneself better. So it's, it's helped to kind of just balance out your life, stay focused, uh, use your uh, goal setting, visualize your goals, and keep working at it. Um, it's, I guess it's almost the peace you get when you think about, I can do it, um, relaxed, uh, not stressing out about it. Uh, I, although I say that, it's not that I'm perfect at that all the time. I still stress out, and, uh, you know, sometimes I do. Uh, you, you know, I uh, have some uh, problems focusing, and and you know the goals can look a little far. But as as we all know, we're we're all human, and uh, we can only strive to be better than what we were yesterday. Absolutely. So it sounds like you had a number of things to try and overcome while you were in high school. You were dealing with having the surgery on your back. What? How old were you when you had that? Uh. Well, the thing is, I got held back in kindergarten, and then I got held back before I just before I had the surgery, uh, eighth grade. So I, re I had surgery in between my two years of eighth grade. Um, so I was 15. So I was actually pretty old to be in eighth grade. Uh, kindergarten was more maturity and uh, just uh, problems with focus, and I would say eighth grade was actually literally pretty much all my fault. So... Um, <laughs> As as you know, I mean, you can't change the winds, but change the sails on your boat. So <laughs> that's an interesting yeah, so way. I was, yeah, so I was so, fifteen. Did you have some help in school? Did you have any people who were helping you to deal with the ADHD, or did you just have to learn how to do that yourself? Uh, actually, you know, looking back, I had a lot of good teachers. Um, I'm learning about history right now, and what a lot of kids do not learn in history class, and looking back, I had a lot of good teachers that taught that stuff uh, from history. Uh, that's just an example, but I did have good, good, uh, some good teachers. Um, of course, you know, being young and hating school, I 
I didn't appreciate them like I do today. I also had friends. Unfortunately, the thing I would do is I'd focus on um, the people who didn't like me or the people who didn't accept me. And I'd be worried about them rather than worried about the, the actual people who loved me. So thankfully, I was able to uh, later on kind of, kind of, I guess, see the light and start not really being too worried about the naysayers and and embracing the uh, the positive people I had in my life. And that's exactly the kind of sentiment that you display on your webpage. I love your Facebook page. For those Thank of you, you who are listening, you need to check it out. It's Mark Cummings, Half the Heart, Twice the Determination. And I love one of the quotes that you have on there. You said, my hope with this page is to inspire and motivate not only others, but myself as well. So mm-hmm. can you tell us how having that Facebook page helps to keep you motivated? And can you also tell us what you others with congenital heart defects can do to help keep themselves motivated? Absolutely. Um, to be honest with you, uh, any positive story can be pretty motivating. Um, uh, when you hear about anybody doing what they can or trying to do the best or just trying to be better than they were yesterday, uh, can, you can always find a little bit of light and inspiration from there. And the fact that I know what I'm doing uh, impacts other people, that's pretty uh, pretty motivating in itself. So um, I guess the thing I, I would have to say to a lot of our people with any kind of heart condition, the fact of the matter is uh, just because you were given, I guess, a diagnosis doesn't doesn't always mean that it's really a death sentence or, or anything like that. We always have things we can try to improve on our life. Uh, we always have things where we can um, <clears throat> strive to be a better person. I remember I put up a post one time, and there was the difference between a successful person and unsuccessful person. Unsuccessful person always comes up with uh, excuses. Now, don't confuse reasons with excuses, but when I say excuses, I mean um, if I can't walk, doesn't mean I can't run a marathon or uh, do a marathon in, in my wheelchair, right? Or if I can't speak, doesn't mean I can't speak with my hands or anything like that. So we can always, always strive to become a better person. And on the post, someone actually posted uh, that what I said was I was being a positive attitude bully, and then she displayed all the traits two people did of the unsuccessful person. Um, And keep in mind that uh, these are actually people who influence kids. And sometimes I think a lot of people miss uh, understand what success is. I want to be a teacher. I want to be the best teacher I can be. And I succeed at it. That's a success in itself. Not everybody's going to be Jackie Chan or Donald Trump or want to be. So... But it sounds to me like, long. What's that? It, well, it sounds. I'm sorry. <laughs> done. But it sounds to me like what you're trying to do with your Facebook page and what you're trying to do with your life is to set a good example for others. Yeah, uh, yeah. For the most part, I try to try to be the best person I can be. Um, so, unfortunately, with Facebook, it's a uh, it's a little easier just to uh, always post positive and and um, try to be that 
that positive thing that people can go, well, you know, I might be having a bad day, but at least I can go and see something positive on that page. So Good for you, Mark. I think that your entire life and beautiful photos that you have put on your website and just showing parents that kids who have critical congenital heart defects can do karate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that kind of brings up a funny um, a funny fact or story. Um, I couldn't do sparring for the first two years, even though the doctors gave me the verbal okay to, my instructor was afraid to until I got a written note and they still slowly edged me into sparring. So it wasn't like I did like hitting right away. And when I say sparring, I mean just tag sparring. So um, even for the first few years, even though I couldn't spar, I still did forms, weapons, you know, I still did uh, all the other things that you can do in martial arts to, uh, to enjoy it and to become better at it. So I became really good at forms. So that would be another example of just taking what you can do and work with it. Absolutely. So did you wear a chest protector when you actually did start sparring? Yes. Yes, I did. In fact, uh, I think even for a while, they weren't really allowed to hit in the body too hard. Um, It's funny, though, because looking back, now I I wear a lot of self-defense gear and done kickboxing classes and uh, all that, you know, of course, with doctor's clearance. Um, And eventually, I just was able to get a okay from the doctor saying, for the most part, I have a clean bill of health. And I bet that clean bill of health meant a huge deal to you. That that probably changed your life. Um, I think my life was pretty changed by the time I got there. I think it was just him finally just, or not even finally, because he kind of saw it and knew it, but um, it was just, just saying it out loud, I guess. Because he never, all the restrictions he took off, um, and that, that was actually finally at the time when, uh, he said I didn't have to take antibiotics anymore to go to the dentist or anything like that. So, um, for the most part, any of the congenital heart defect, common stuff people usually have to do. Um, fortunately, I don't have to be. Uh, I don't have to really do it too much anymore. So. Well, it has been delightful talking to you, Mark. Thank you so much for sharing your page with us and for sharing some of your experiences with us. I have a feeling that will be very meaningful to other parents who have children with congenital heart defects and are wondering if their children can do karate. So now we need to take a commercial break, but don't leave yet. Coming up, we have another congenital heart defect survivor who will be sharing her story with us. Find out how she dealt with the Texas heat while marching in her high school marching band and what activity she shared with her cousin when we return to Heart to Heart with Anna. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, A handbook for parents will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. 
Anna Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events, and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. Go to hearttoheartwithanna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today we are talking with congenital heart defect survivors, Mark Cummings, Victoria Scoggins, and Alexander Jaworski. We just finished talking with Mark Cummings about his experiences with growing up with a congenital heart defect and how karate changed how he viewed himself as a person and allowed him to channel his energies in a positive way toward helping himself initially and now helping others as he works with his Facebook page and instructs children in karate and self-defense. Now we will turn our attention to Victoria Scoggins. Victoria wrote, I was born on March 31st, 1983. I was one month old before my parents knew that I had a heart defect. After confirming I had lost weight, the doctor took a chest x-ray. The next morning, we saw a pediatric cardiologist where I was diagnosed with tricuspid atresia, hypoplastic right ventricle, coarctation of the aorta, and ventricular and atrial septal defects. I was also in heart failure. We flew to Houston that night, and I had a subclavian repair for my coarctation, and my pulmonary artery was banded. The next several years, we put off the Fontan procedure until it was no longer considered experimental, and I was older and bigger. Before having the Fontan, I was in ballet, tap, and musical performance, just like my cousin. I had a hard time keeping up with my peers. In high school, I joined the marching band, just like my middle brother had done. Master's degree in healthcare administration, the Veterans Health Administration, in our next segment. Thank you, Victoria, for coming on Heart to Heart with Anna. Thank you, Anna. Well, Victoria, I've known you for a very long time because your mother, Rita, and I used to belong to the same congenital heart defect listserv. And then your mom wrote for my book, The Heart of a Mother. I remember being so excited to hear about you being in the marching band because that's something I did in high school, too. Can you tell us a little bit about what instruments you played and what it was like being in a marching band in South Texas? I know where I was in Central Texas, sometimes it was really hot. Sure. Um, when I, when music came to be an option for us in sixth grade, I wanted to play the, the drums. So I went into percussion for sixth grade and I learned how to play the bells and all those percussion instruments, and I played that until um, mid-year of my eighth grade year, I believe it was, and then I wanted to switch to the clarinet, because that's really what I wanted to play since my brother had played that in high school. So I continued on to play the clarinet um, through marching band in high school um, from my freshman to junior year. My senior year, um, 
we decided that it was best that I go back to percussion because it was a state year, and so they wanted um, me to be in the pit where we don't actually march, but we still are a part of the marching band. Right. A lot of times our percussion sections stayed on one side of the field, and that way everybody could hear the music from the drums the same way. If they had been on the field with us, it might have uh, thrown some of us off. Yes, our drums um, marched, but everything else um, in the percussion didn't. And, um, you know, being in South Texas, it it was very hot, and we practiced Monday through Thursday on um, a blacktop field. Um, So it was actually the parking lot at the high school, and we practiced on that. So it was very hot. Um, My mother was able to get me... And it was used for all the band members, a little tent that covered um, for some shade. So I, when we took breaks, a lot of the other band members, as well as I, um, would go and get some shade and water during our break. Yeah, I remember in Central Texas, where I was in the marching band, that it was not uncommon in the summer, especially because we started practicing in August before the kids came back to school. And it was not uncommon for kids to pass out on that blacktop. We did the same thing. We, we practiced on the asphalt parking lot, and the heat was just intense. Yeah, I know that um, for me, I would, I would come home after band practice and be very tired and, and uh, from the heat, exhausted. But, um, you know, I, I wanted to be in the marching band. I wanted some kind of activity where I could get out and meet people. So this was the activity I had chosen. I was so amazed when I found out you played clarinet. It's very uncommon for a person with a severe heart defect to be selecting a woodwind instrument. It takes a lot of air to play the clarinet. Yes, it, it does. Um, it was learning how to manage um Marching and playing my instrument at the same time. There were some times when, um, you know, during games, I would just have to um, hold back a little and keep up with the formation, but I was still able to keep up with my peers. Now, right after we got off the field, I would um, take off my uniform because I was so hot and get um, drinks of water to get hydrated again. So that's good. So it sounds like you knew how to limit yourself so you wouldn't hurt yourself, but how you could still be part of the band. Yeah, and that took practice. Um, <clears throat> my first year when I was a freshman, um, you know, I wanted to do everything that my peers could do. I wanted to not take breaks when um, no one else was taking breaks, but... I learned that for my health, I needed to do what I needed to do. And and sometimes that meant um, not being like my peers and um, taking care of my body. I think that's a really important lesson for people with congenital heart defects to stay hydrated. Because if your body becomes dehydrated, you can have arrhythmias. And for people who have had open heart surgery like you've had, the chances of having arrhythmias is heightened anyway. 
So Victoria, let's talk about dancing a little bit. So you said that you and your cousin both took dancing as, as young children. What do you remember from that? And did, was it a good experience for you? Sure. Um, I don't remember too much. Again, I was I was little and I'm older now. So, um, you know, I've got to go way back in my, my memory box there. But I remember that I was the littlest kid. I danced around with the other kids. Of course, you know, we're six, so we don't really know what we're doing, but we watch the teacher a lot, so I would I would watch the teacher on the routine, um, but I do remember having to sit out a lot because I was just too tired, and this was before my surgery, so um, I didn't have the blood flow like I do now. Right, so you did that before you had your Fontan procedure, right? That's correct, yeah. So now that you've had your Fontan procedure... Can you tell us what being in those different lessons meant to you as far as a person growing up? Like what kind of advice you would give parents about allowing their children to take different kinds of lessons when they're growing up? Well, I think it's important to let your kids um, figure out what they're capable of doing because if, if parents keep holding their child back because the doctors or um, they're scared, um, the child's never going to learn what he or she is capable of. And I think my parents allowing me to be in um, extracurricular activities that were um, hard, harder for me than other people let me to learn what I'm capable of doing now. And as an adult, my parents aren't there to tell me, you can't do that, you need to watch out. They still do, but they aren't there every minute. Um, but I was able to learn what I can and can't do. And, like, now I go to the island with my friends, which walking in the, the soft sand is very hard for me. So I learned to make my own modifications when we go to the island. I don't take as much um, stuff. I make sure I take a towel, plenty of water, and I look for places where I don't have to walk in the soft sand as much. So by... My parents allowing me to do other activities, I've learned how to make the necessary modifications so I don't um, pass out or get too tired or too hot. Right. It sounds like both you and Mark were really good at learning what kind of modifications you needed to make in order to be successful. Yes, I think so. Well, I'm so proud of you for earning your master's degree and for working in the hospital setting. And I have a feeling that your experiences with hospitals makes you an even more valuable employee. I think so. I think that, you know, um, being a patient, I can see the patient perspective, but I also have to see the administrative perspective and to intertwine the two um, comes fairly easy to me. Because I have been a patient and been in the hospital for different procedures, so I know what it's like. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Victoria, for coming on our show and sharing your experiences with us. Now it's time for another commercial break, but don't go far. Stay tuned to find out how another adult with a critical congenital heart defect dealt with his physical limitations while growing up. Find out how he not only coped, but found a profession that has changed his life when we return to Heart to Heart with Anna.
Anna Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events, and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. Go to hearttoheartwithanna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today, we are talking with congenital heart defect survivors, Mark Cummings, Victoria Scoggins, and Alexander Jaworski. We have heard from Mark Cummings about his experiences with growing up with not only a congenital heart defect, but also severe curvature of the spine. Two conditions serious enough to prevent anyone from pursuing sports or any kind of physical activity, and yet he is a third-degree black belt in karate. We talked with Victoria Scoggins about how she was able to participate in marching band in South Texas and how she also took dancing lessons as a child. And now we will meet Alexander Jaworski. Alexander writes, I was born on August 11, 1994. I was diagnosed with hypoplastic left heart syndrome when I was two months old, and the doctors told my parents that the odds of me surviving surgery were extremely small. Despite that, I had my first surgery within days and my second surgery when I was nine months old. I didn't need surgery again until I was 17 years old when my Fontan was converted to an extra cardiac Fontan. My father and older brother did karate since I was little, so I started doing it when I was six. I continued until I was 10 after earning my black belt. At that time, I was getting into robotics and participated with teams in annual First Lego League and RoboFest competitions. For a few years when I was a teenager, I joined the local swim team with my brother. I also went to rock climbing gyms with my friends periodically, and I took tennis lessons at a country club. As an engineering student at NYU Poly, I now exercise by walking across the Brooklyn Bridge every day I can. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Alexander. Let's start your segment by sharing that you are not only my guest, but also my youngest son. Yes, I am. Thank you for having me today. Well, Alex, I'm so happy that you can be on my show. And let's talk about Taekwondo first. When you and your dad and your brother were taking part in it, you all did a lot of different things, just like Mark talked about. You did forms, you did martial ballet, you did self-defense and sparring. So what was the most difficult part of your Taekwondo experience for you, and how did you deal with it? I never felt like there was any big problems at the time. It's only looking back on it that I can really 
be more observant about it. And the biggest issue was probably that I had less stamina than the other kids, and I would get out of breath a lot quicker. It never became a big problem because Master Soldier kept an eye out, and he would pull me aside and make me rest until I needed to. Just like Victoria, I wanted to keep up with all my peers, but he knew better than I did what was good for me. Yeah, that's because we could see things that you couldn't see. And I was sitting in the observation room when he really stepped up the aerobic workout when Joey and Aaron and some of the other boys were preparing for their black belt test. He would make you run extra laps in the dojo and you would be okay for the first lap and the second lap and around the third lap your nose would turn blue and the tips of your fingers would also turn blue. Mm -hmm. That's when he grabbed you. (laughs) I never paid attention to that sort of thing back then. Right. So probably a good thing he was so observant about all that. It was a very good thing. He had known you since you were two years old, so he was very cognizant of what your situation was like with your heart defect. But, you know, he never let that stop you when you were sparring, And that really scared me. I thought you needed a chest protector. I just asked Mark if he used one, and he said he did. But Mm. Pastor Schultz never had you wear chest protection. No, we tended to aim for the head more because we knew we all had headgear on. I think that was the biggest reason we didn't worry about it so much. Yeah, you didn't worry about it. I never worried about it. (laughs) I worried about it all the time. I hated it when you had to do sparring. But you did learn so much from being in karate. Yeah. And I was really sad when you decided to take a break from it. However, that's when you started doing your robotics. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what it was like when you started your robotics team and how your robotics teams did over the years? The first couple of years were, of course, when we were first getting used to the competitions. That was more about finding our feet. We changed most of the team by getting trophies every we started progressing to the state competitions and we got into at first we were only doing FLL tournaments we started also doing RoboFest around our fourth or fifth year and eventually we made it to the international tournaments for both FLL and RoboFest yes it was quite an experience to watch your teams grow we had a steep learning curve but then It seemed like everything started to fall into place, didn't it, Alex? It did. It did, absolutely. And then I think that having that FLL experience especially, but even RoboFest too, helped you to decide what you wanted to do for college. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Well, I started going to college when I was 14. I'm afraid my teacher was running out of things to teach me in homeschool. (laughs) So she found that there was a nearby college in Waco called TSDC, which is Texas State Technical College, and they had a very good dual credit program. So I started out, I took a DC circuits class there, and I did really well, and I liked the teachers. And so then I started taking three courses every semester, and I just kept going and going. I got into the degree program to get a associate's degree in applied sciences, and by the time I was 17... I had I finished that. I worked with industrial quality robots, and I was absolutely in engineering by that time. I knew that was what I was going to do. You did, and you seemed to be such a natural at it. 
One of the other things that made me so proud, Alex, was that in addition to working at the college level, you did go to your international competition. That's why you were in college, which was quite challenging. But then when you became too old, which sounds funny, but (laughs) and you were too old to be an FLL, as a competitor, you turned around and you were a helper. You were either a judge or we helped out in some way at the local competitions. And even in Houston, we drove all the way to Houston to help out. We did, yeah. How did you feel that that helped you as a person? Help me mature a bit, I think, because I was not used to being the one in charge like that with everyone. Where it, was, it was my judgment had a lot of weight there, and I knew what I was looking for, and I knew what I was saying about the team's robots, but it was a little... I had never done anything like that before. It was a little unexpected how important it felt. It was a little... I was nervous the first couple of times. I got used to it, and I would definitely do it whenever I have the opportunity, but the first couple of times, it really helped me get a little bit more responsible, I think. Yeah, I think it did, too. I want to talk to you on a totally different topic now. I want to talk to you about swimming and what it was like for you as a swimmer. Can you remember when you first started swimming? That was mainly because my older brother was on the swim team, and... I think back then I wasn't getting much exercise, and we were at the swim center so often anyways, I started to, I wanted to join the swim team so I'd have something to do instead of just sitting on the bleachers all the time. So the first couple of times, I wasn't able to make it onto the team because the water was so cold, I just couldn't take it for very long. And then he got me a wetsuit, and that kept me warm, very warm, so I had no problem making it on the swim team after that. I think that's really important for parents to know that if a child really wants to do something, you may have to find some kind of modifications. With Mark, he wasn't able to to do the sparring for his first couple of years, and then he wore chest protection Mm -hmm. because of all the surgeries that he had had. But with that protection, he was still able to participate with his friends And the same thing with you. You couldn't make the swim team because you would be so cold and shivering and talk about a blue nose. Oh, my goodness. The the swim instructor used to tease and and say that you look like a Smurf. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. You really turned blue. And as soon as we got that wetsuit for you, it changed everything. You were finally warm enough that you were able to have the endurance. And you actually became a pretty good backstroker. I did, yeah. And it became really right. fun, you know? Right. So what advice would you give to parents of young people who have serious heart defects regarding how they should handle sports and extracurricular activities? You have to maybe find some particular equipment to overcome their shortcomings. And it also just means that sometimes you have to work a bit harder than someone normally would in order to do it. It's... It's definitely something you should do if you can. We have, I think, us with heart defects have more to prove, so we can be even more proud of ourselves when we do succeed at things like karate, swimming, everything that seems to be out of our reach. You know, when we can do it, it's something to really take pride in. I agree. I agree. I think that 
for all of you, for Mark and Victoria and you to have been successful with the marching band and the karate, the swimming, the robotics, I do think that you all have to work a little bit harder. I really do. But I do think that the reward is even that much greater. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Alex. Thank and you for having me. <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. Now it's time for another commercial break, but don't leave because it's almost time for a miracle moment. And today's miracle moment deals with probably the most famous athlete with a critical congenital heart defect in current history. Find out who the flying tomato is, what his heart defect is, and what he has accomplished at the Olympics when we return. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Anna Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events, and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. Go to hearttoheartwithanna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Our purpose is to empower members of our community with resources, support, and advocacy information. I want to take another moment to thank my guests, Mark Cummings, Victoria Scoggins, and Alexander Jaworski. All three of these young adults, just like the young man whose story I'll share with you in a moment, were born with critical congenital heart defects. All of these young people were born with invisible birth defects. For the most part, CCHDs cannot be seen. The only time anyone sees anything amiss is when our heart warriors dare to go bare-chested or expose a significant portion of their torsos so that people see the scars their surgeries have left behind. And in Mark's case, it's not just the front of his body that sports an impressive scar, but his back too because of his spine surgery. What I love about all of my guests and the Miracle Moment story I'll read in a minute is that their defects stayed invisible while they were growing up. None of these people allowed their birth defects to define them. They defied the odds, and instead of making excuses for why they couldn't do certain activities, they simply made things happen. What I also love is that when they needed to, they were unabashed about changing tactics. When swimming was too difficult for Alex, he donned a wetsuit. When he couldn't do what other kids could do in the water, all of a sudden that wetsuit allowed him to do it. When he realized he didn't have the stamina to go for his second-degree black belt, he took up robotics instead. Victoria has earned not only a bachelor's degree, but also a master's degree, and now works in a hospital setting. 
all of these young people have not only had a good quality of life, they've had a remarkable quality of life. And such was also the case with probably the most famous congenital heart defect survivor to ever make it to the Olympics, Sean White, also known as the Flying Tomato. Like Mark, Victoria, and Alex, Sean was born with a critical congenital heart defect. Like our guest today, Sean refused to let his heart defect define him. Our miracle moment today is from NBC Sports Vancouver 2010 Most Popular Athletes. You can read your story yourself or if you want to check it out on the Heart to Heart with Anna website at www.hearttoheartwithanna.com. And you'll even see a link that will allow you to watch Sean White in action. His bi- biography begins with half-pipe coronation. Entering the 2006 Torino Games, White was widely considered the favorite to take Olympic gold in men's half-pipe. However, the Carlsbad, California native got an early scare when a mistake on his first qualifying run left him with just 37.7 points, facing a do-or-die scenario to earn a spot in the final with his second qualifying run. White ended up qualifying with ease on that second run, and in the final, he did not disappoint, claiming the Olympic title with a dominant performance. Writing to ACDC's Back in Black, the then 19-year-old racked up 46.8 points in the first run of the final round, a score that no other competitor could surpass. During his interview with NBC after the victory, White broke down, unable to hold back his tears. Two sports star. In addition to owning the Olympic snowboarding crown, White is also a champion skateboarder who claimed a skateboard vertical title at the 2007 Summer X Games, making him the first athlete ever to win summer and winter X game titles. While Sean White skates professionally in the summer, leaving him roughly six months on the snow each year, that makes his achievements in snowboarding and skateboarding all the more impressive. And though White didn't win his first X Games title until 2007, his skateboarding career has long been ordained for greatness. He first started skateboarding with the legendary Tony Hawk at age nine. In the spring of 2009, Red Bull, one of White's principal sponsors, built him a private half pipe complete with foam pit at Silverton Mountain in southwestern Colorado. Dubbed Project X, the pipe was built on the backside of a mountain in an inconspicuous avalanche chute, reachable only by helicopter and snowmobile. There it took White all of three days to land a trick that would come to dominate the snowboard chatter over the summer and beyond, the double cork. The game-changing maneuver involves two off-axis rotations or diagonal flips, and at the season's opening World Cup event in New Zealand in August, White debuted back-to-back double cork spins en route to victory. The first of those double corks was a cab 1080 stalefish, meaning that while White was flipping twice diagonally, he was also executing three full spins and grabbing the board at his back heel edge. White was born with a heart defect called Tetralogy of Fallot, which his website describes as a series of heart malformations. The heart defect required two major surgeries at a young age. As reported in USA Today, he was also severely bow-legged early in his childhood and had to wear corrective leg braces at night. However, neither malady stopped White from trying snowboarding at age six with the assistance of his father, Roger. The entire White family has since taken up snowboarding, with Kathy, his mom, being the last to learn. And that concludes this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I have. I love how Sean, Alex, Victoria, and Mark have all led the kind of lives that they wanted to lead without being defined by their heart defects. They have led extraordinary lives because they've challenged themselves and sought to be the best they can be. 
Thank you for listening today. Please come back next week on Tuesday at noon for a brand new episode. But February is Heart Month, and Heart to Heart with Anna is going to be featuring a radio show every single day during the month of February 2016. So please find it, like us on Facebook. Check out our website, hearttoheartwithanna.com, and that's where you'll see the schedule for all the shows that we'll be having in the month of February. Check out our Cafe Press Boutique. Follow our radio show on Blog Talk Radio and especially on Spreaker because if you can help us get enough followers on Spreaker that we can petition iHeartRadio to carry our show and then people can listen to the show in their cars. So thanks again for listening. We know that congenital heart defects touch people all over the globe. But remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you've been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next week. 